Are we there yet? Have you heard those words from the backseat of the car? I know you have, and be honest, you've probably thought them or said them yourself. Are we there yet? A long trip, wanting to reach that destination, maybe get on with some more interesting things uh, in life. Um, We might even feel that way as we get to the end of chapter 5 in the book of Joshua. By this point in the book, Joshua has received his commission from the Lord, specific instructions as the appointed leader in Israel. We know from last week that the scouts scouting out the land, Jericho specifically, they have returned. Provisions have been made. They've now crossed the Jordan River. This is it. They're in the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. And Joshua is instructed to set up a memorial stone. Israel, do not forget what has happened. This is an important teaching tool for the generations to come. Our God is mighty to save. He will deliver. He will provide the land. But the people needed uh, something else. They still were not prepared to uh, draw the sword, begin this conquest. If they're going to fight with Yahweh, the God who is, then they must be identified with Him. The stipulations of of the covenant, specifically the sign of the covenant and circumcision that had not been carried out for this generation. So uh, the end of chapter 5 makes provision for uh, this covenant sign among the people. So we were in Jericho in chapter 2. Rahab is still there. She's waiting for the people of Israel. and We hope to return to uh, Jericho again in the next uh, few weeks. But we're going to look at an event that takes just three verses at the end of chapter 5. And if these three verses do not send chills down your spine, then check your pulse. Maybe not your physical pulse, which you can do too if you want, but check your attitude and posture before the living Word of God. This is intense. Chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho... He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Lord, even as we read these verses, it does put our our hair standing on end. It gives me goosebumps to read them, to consider what Joshua would have seen in these moments. Your very presence with him in this man. Lord, we thank You that You give us exactly what it is we need to hear and learn from and apply in our everyday lives. We are grateful that You condescend to us through Your Word and feed us in this way. Lord, may we be receptive now. Open our our mouths of faith to feast upon this Word. And we need Your help, Holy Spirit, to apply it. Speak faithfully, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, two-hand touch football was one of my favorite activities during recess, elementary school, middle school. Recess was my favorite class. 
probably still would be. And I'd still love to do that if we had enough people to play touch football. But the guys would sort of gaggle out in the field at recess time and maybe a few gals if they were bold enough to, to join the guys. And depending on who was out there in the field, the team captains would sort of emerge. Did you ever notice that? The team captains really aren't chosen. They just sort of emerge from the group. And, uh, and so, you know, then they would take turns picking from the rest of us uh, who would be on their team. You know this drill, right? These agonizing few moments, sometimes life-altering moments of, am I going to be picked? Who's going to pick him or her? And I remember sometimes during recess, the game would never actually start because we'd spend the whole time in this picking of players and arguing over how unfair the teams were. And so we get the verses before us here in chapter 5. General Joshua is the appointed team captain of Israel, and he's pondering this first battle. He can, he can see the fortress of Jericho in the distance. We don't know exactly where he was. He could be in the camp there at Gilgal, maybe up on the, the hillside, uh, looking towards the city. We don't know exactly. But when he looks up, he sees something astounding. And the language here really clues us in on this. I, I love the NIV, New Living Translations. They're helpful for their purpose, but they miss the impact of this. As Joshua looked up and behold... A man was standing. Pay attention. This is incredible. This may very well be life-altering. So when you hear, read, behold, you're thinking, oh boy, oh boy, what's, what's going to happen next? So Joshua sees a man dressed for battle, his sword in hand. We're not, we're not told anything else about the appearance of this man than that. But Joshua knows right away that this this man is a player, perhaps another team captain has just emerged. He knows that he needs to, to sort this out. So we're going to ask two questions of these verses. Questions I believe Joshua asked. The first is very straightforward. Who are you? That's the first question. But the second, Joshua doesn't ask outwardly or out loud that we read, but he asks it of himself perhaps more than once uh, as he's face down before this man. Who am I? Who am I before this great man? And so Joshua concludes uh, that this man is not to be messed with. He means business. He is here to fight and perhaps lead others in fighting. And so who are you? Who do you belong to? Are you ready to fight on, on my team or are you fighting against us? Honest question in verse 13. He's not being adversarial here, but he needs to know whether it's time to call the men to arms because they're under attack or if he can um, relax a little, trust this man. So the answer comes quickly in verse 14. It's no wonder we hear that word behold. Uh, the man says, no, but I'm the commander of the army of the Lord and now I have come. Some of you are familiar with veggie tales you have children or grandchildren, then you know veggie tales well. They, you know, these popular uh, vegetables reenact these biblical stories, usually a moral lesson that goes along with them. Well, there's the film Josh and the Big Wall. It's my favorite edition of veggie tales. Uh, Larry the Cucumber is Joshua, and Archibald is the asparagus. And once they get to this point in veggie tales, uh, my favorite point, uh, the the Archibald makes this statement, the commander of the Lord's army. 
And there's this sort of dramatic pause, and Larry goes, shoop, just falls flat on his face with a great sound effect that goes with it. That's an appropriate response. And we see General Joshua doing uh, something similar here, just smack on his face before this man. The game has just changed for Joshua. We don't have two team captains here on equal ground picking guys for battle. We have one guy who's calling the shots. One guy who's going to give instructions. He will decide how, you know, how this is going to play out. How this battle is going to go. The answer this commander of the Lord's army gives, it's an, it's an unexpected answer, but it's exactly the answer that Joshua needs in these moments. He wants to know if this is warrior leading a battle of troops out of Canaan, or if he's ready to come alongside his men who are still recovering in the campground. So the commander says, no, I'm not leading physical soldiers into battle, not leading here anywhere else. I'm leading a different group. I'm leading the army of the Lord. Some translations here have neither in verse 14. It can be translated that way, but I think that lends itself to the impression that this commander is sort of neutral. That he's not fighting for one camp or the other, but this man is commander of the Lord's army. He is for the Lord. Then he is for the people of the Lord he has chosen. He will fight in their very best interests, though he will not physically be among them for battle. So Joshua hits the dirt, uh, and this representative of the Lord doesn't stop him from worship. This man carries the very authority of God, the Lord present with him. That becomes very clear here in verse 15. So if you want a fun word that describes the appearing of this man, you could say this is a theophany, a God picture, a God appearance before Joshua. Something we're familiar with. Uh, in the Old Testament. Genesis 3, we, we read that the man and the woman hear God walking in the garden, a theophany. Uh, men or, or angels that appear to Abraham and Lot, ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18. The man who wrestles with Jacob, Genesis 32. So a theophany, it could take the form of a man or an angel or something else altogether. It could be a pillar of fire or a cloud, or a burning bush. Theophanies. But I think what more commentators are interested in, probably what more of you are interested in as you read this from day to day, is whether this is the second person of the Trinity. Is this theophany a Christophany? So now now we're getting into the weeds a little bit more. So uh, the answer is we don't know. We don't know. Uh, Many believe that it is because of the way Joshua is instructed to worship and the, the follow-on instructions uh, that, that come right after this. Uh, it could be the pre-incarnate Christ, but not until we reach the New Testament do we see theophany becoming true Christophany. Uh, God with us in the person of Jesus. In John's vision in Revelation 19, the armies of heaven follow Him who is the living Word of God. So whether this is the pre-incarnate Christ or not, this is a God appearance before Joshua. He's for Joshua, for the people. The Lord will fight for those He has delivered. But it must be clear that 
He is the one calling the shots. Joshua does not claim the Lord or position the Lord for battle going into Jericho. No, it's the Lord that claims Joshua. Joshua and the people are going to follow him. He's the true captain that even General Joshua falls on his face before. Is that our posture before the Lord? You've heard me say this before, that as the leader goes, so go the people. Joshua's response is spot on and instructive to the people of God. To know that the Lord is the true captain. We take our cues from Him and from His Word. So this means that when we are faced with a decision, however big that decision may be, however small that decision may be, um, what God says, uh, the very heart of God and the matter is our foremost concern. So not, not just when you're here, but, but when you're at home, talking with your kids or with your spouse, at school with your classmates, in the hospital with the doctors, maybe on the road this summer. Okay? Be, be cautious of yourself, and I realize that this is completely countercultural. You will not hear this anywhere else. But our two intuition, our feelings, are not always the best barometer for the decisions that we need to make how to respond. Our sin-scarred hearts are deceptive. They can pull us away from the heart of God, the commands that we need the most uh, in service to Him. So do we seek the Lord, face on the ground in reverence, seeking the counsel of His Word continually? You say, well, Brad, I don't always open my Bible every time I step outside the house. And I understand that. But we see here is a posture, an attitude before God that seeks to align with Him, align with His purpose. Every thought, every word, every action brought under His authority and under His holiness. Now that won't happen automatically. It won't happen because we've said a prayer one time or we, we claim the name Christian. We must continually be exposed to this greatness. And this holiness through time that we spend in the Word, through time uh, that we spend in song together, through our prayers for one another, um, today and, and every day. And as we gather on Sunday mornings, we're, you know, we're, we're being led, refreshed by the grace of God, refreshed in His fatherly covenant love for us. We're exposed to this holiness that we might respond in humility, respond with a deeper commitment. So take that with you into tomorrow. And by the time you get to Wednesday and you're longing to be together again with God's people, He has claimed you. You live before Him. Great reformer John Calvin, maybe you've heard of him. Uh, he says plainly, quite convictingly, he says the Christian ought to be disposed and prepared to keep in mind that he has to reckon with God every moment of his life. Every moment. So let that, let that sort of catapult us into this next question. Um, Joshua must reckon with God in this moment. And he shows very quickly where his allegiance lies. A few times a year I'll meet with other elders, pastors in the presbytery, uh, at our presbytery meeting and during the, the business portion of uh, the meeting, we try and follow Robert's rules of order 
uh, the best that we can in order to keep things from getting out of hand, which embarrassingly does happen, even when you have a bunch of church leaders in the same room. Um, But every now and then comes the request to the moderator for a point of privilege. And that, that means essentially that well, if that's granted, then that person can share whatever it is they want to share, whether it has to do with the motion or not. They have the floor. And that is what Joshua concedes to this commander. You have the floor. The privilege is yours. What does the Lord say to his servant? See, Joshua asked himself this question already. He already come up with the answer. Who am I? Who am I before the commander of the Lord? I am His servant. He is the Lord. He is master of me and all around me. So first things first, for Joshua, remember who you are before me. So Joshua would have known right away that he was standing in that place that Moses stood in Exodus chapter 3. He knows how to respond in the presence of the Holy One. He's not going to be giving orders to this man. He's ready to receive and obey whatever the Lord says. You can imagine, I can only imagine the fear that would have been coursing through Joshua at this point. But I also think that this appearance, this event, would have given him great confidence. the, The invisible army of the Lord was fighting. And that means victory. That means sure victory. Joshua could lead now with With courage that he'd been told to have over and over again. Seeing this commander would give him that courage and a greater confidence to hear about what this battle plan looked like, which was pretty strange. Not at all how he would imagine taking Jericho. So this is a grace of God to appear to Joshua in this way, to make himself known. Church family, the Lord has graciously appeared to us, made himself known, known in the person of Jesus. So we bow before Christ, asking all the while, who am I before this God-man? Who am I before this King? I am His servant. I am His beloved, ready to follow His lead, wherever that may take me. We can do this with confidence. We can do this with great courage. Because God is for us in Jesus. Contemporary artists casting crowns. Are they still singing? Still making music? I think so. <laughs> I don't know. But they have a, a song of this, they ask this question, who am I? And the first line goes like this, who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt? That's an honest question. And God answers that question. The Lord knows your hurt. He knows our pain. He knows our tendency to run from what it is we need the most. But He pursues us and binds us to Himself through Jesus. He doesn't just know your name. By His grace, He calls you by name. Places His name upon you through the blood of Christ. Who am I? By faith, I am a child of the King. The commander of the hosts of heaven is my beloved. My life is hidden with him. So if you are in Christ, that is who you are. And there can be no greater confidence, no greater assurance 
for your next breath, for the next hour, for the next day. In Christ, the Lord of all the earth has claimed you and continues to work His good work in you. And that's a big work. God is redeeming all things through Christ. Ways that we could not possibly comprehend Him doing this. In ways that supersede our own ideas, our own personal agendas. Okay, which doesn't mean He's not concerned or any less caring for, for you and the unique circumstances that you are in. <clears throat> but He is the Holy One. He's the Lord of all who knows us intimately and yet is infinitely greater uh, than who than we are. So the fact that we would even dare to direct or dare to contain God according to our preferences and our passions. He doesn't carry labels. The king is not a Presbyterian. He's not Episcopalian. He's not Congregational. He's not Catholic. He's not Democrat. He's not Republican. He's not Libertarian. However our minds try and contain Him, He's bigger than that. His mercy, His grace, His holiness just explodes our every attempt to contain Him. That's why I'm going I'm to use a line here from James Montgomery Boyce, <clears throat> Reformed pastor. He's now with the King himself. Um, he said, This is why we are always being surprised and stretched by God if we are actually dealing with God and not merely going through the outward forms of religious observance. If we are dealing with God, if we must reckon with the Holy One every moment, then we will be stretched. We may be disarmed, inwardly, perhaps outwardly, undone, as Joshua was before this very manifestation of God. This is, this is what we need as God's people. To see, to, to praise our King as high and lifted up. To befall before His holiness. God is for us in Jesus. He's ultimately for Himself and for His glory, which I know sounds a little strange and maybe arrogant. And if it were coming from me or from any of you, that's exactly what it would be. It would be arrogant and selfish and prideful. But if God says that, that His glory, that His pleasure is always the goal, that's not only true, but it resets the rest of creation. All of creation, you and me included, exist to serve that purpose, to give Him glory. We exist for Him who's claimed us for His very own. His parting words to Timothy, Apostle Paul says, our salvation before the ages has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Church, the game is His. The battle is His. He's calling the shots. There's no arguing over here on who's on what team. The Father knows those who are His own. And in Christ has claimed His own. Joshua Joshua's experience here is just a clear reminder of who God is and all of His holiness. Who Joshua was as appointed servant of the Lord. May that be true of us as we live before the holiness of God to be found in worship with all humility, with all honesty, asking 
you know, Lord, what do you say? What do you say? What would you have me do today? What would you have me do in this very moment? Let's pray together. Lord God, that is the question and cry of our hearts. What do you say to us? We're grateful that you speak to us by the power of your Spirit through your Word. Lord, may we respond to this Word with every decision that's before us. Lord, we're pulled in so many different directions and how to respond. Told how we should respond. Lord, as we see in these verses, Joshua falling on his face before you. So we worship and adore you and trust you to lead us in the battle where we know there is victory and it is sure because we are held in the grip of our King, commander of the army of the Lord. Lord, we thank you for this word in Christ's name. Amen.